Welcome to Ana, Conversations with Myanmar. If you'd like to add your voice to the conversation here at Ana, please reach out to us through any of our social media platforms or you can email us directly. This conversation features Tom Updike, founder of 5K for Myanmar. A former expat, Tom lived and worked in Myanmar, and like many who called Myanmar home, he was utterly devastated when the coup broke out in February 2021. Unsure of what he could do to help, he decided to run. In March 2021, one month after the coup, he started 5K for Myanmar. He told family and friends that he was going to run every day for a month to raise money for the Myanmar people. At the end of the month, things in Myanmar had not changed and were in fact getting worse, so he decided to keep running. The initiative continued to grow to the point where Tom completed a 5k every day for an entire year to raise money and awareness for Myanmar. Here, Tom talks about the love he has for the Burmese people, his time in Myanmar, his inspiring 5k personal journey, and the next phase of 5k for Myanmar, where, with the help of a network of supporters, someone, somewhere in the world, is doing a 5k for Myanmar every day. Let's start the conversation. Okay, so welcome, Tom. Tom Updike is here to talk to us today on Anna Podcast uh, about a beautiful initiative he is running in Atlanta called 5K for Myanmar. So, Tom, you're really welcome. And uh, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit about yourselves. Sure. And honestly, thank you all so much for having me. I really appreciate the effort you all are going through to keep the conversation going. I think it's fantastic. Um, so I am in Atlanta on the East Coast of the U.S. and started 5K for Myanmar in March of 2021. That was one month after the coup, and I had experienced sort of that month of February, as we all did, of just seeing everything that was happening and, and reading everything and hearing all the stories and just wanting to do something. And so March 1st, I laced up my shoes and went for a run. I told family and friends, you know, I think I'm going to run every day for a month to raise money for Myanmar. Everybody was very supportive. And so I managed to eke my way through 31 days of running. And then things in Myanmar were still going on and were in fact getting worse. You know, we, we remember March of 2021, and that was just a really difficult time. And I decided to run for another month. So April ran again. And then it just didn't seem like it was worth stopping. And so it became this initiative where I did a 5k every day for a year in order to raise money and awareness about uh, what's happening in Myanmar. And at this point, then we've reached phase two of 5k for Myanmar, where now people around the world can run. So someone in Florida can do a 5k, someone in Switzerland can do a 5k. And we just try to have someone somewhere in the world every day doing a 5k for Myanmar. It's um, it's a really great and I'm just I'm laughing to myself thinking, you know, like most of us, you start something, you don't think it's going to go on. <laughs> you know, you're thinking I'm going to run yeah. for a month. And as you say, a year, like, I mean, it, at least you chose something healthy and good for you to, to do. But I imagine there's some, I guess, release in the running or like in terms of mental health at a time like that, when you're getting that constant stream of bad news. Yeah, absolutely. And it was an opportunity to sort of process what was happening. You know, I, I think about Myanmar every day. That's still the case, even if I'm not, you know, going out and doing a 5k every day, but especially on those runs, sometimes there are walks too, you know, can't necessarily run every day. And, uh, 
just to have those moments of thinking about that, sending messages to friends who are over there, you know, maybe talking on the phone to them or just really piecing it through. And as things just continued on, it just became necessary, you know, and it was good to think about it all the time. But at the same time, just it's a heavy weight too for all of us who are involved with Myanmar just to know that something is still going on. So to give it a bit of time every day was impactful, but yeah, it's it's difficult because we're all on the outside looking in, trying to figure out how can we help, and there's only so much sometimes. And like from all of these five Ks that you're running, and now as you say, people around the world are. I know that you're raising funds for Mutual Aid Myanmar. Can you tell us a little bit about Mutual Aid Myanmar, just for anyone who maybe doesn't know about them? I'm sure, a lot of people will know. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, they they they've managed to become one of the big ones in this, which is fantastic because their work is great. I linked into Mutual Aid Myanmar early on. Um, every dollar that we've ever raised has gone to them. And so they are a group that's actually based here in the U.S. who is getting money to people who are still supporting the democracy movement in Myanmar. So people who are supporting the CDM, trying to get money directly into the hands of people who are participating in the civil disobedience movement. And they're doing it through a lot of different ways. They've been very creative in how they're getting money over there and getting it to the right people. I've kind of, I've kind of quizzed them a few times because we've talked one-on-one a couple of times. Some of their people and I have just like, well, what are you doing with this? Or how about this? And I've always been very pleased with their answers with that. They seem to have been very just on top of making sure they're getting it to the right people, making sure that it's all going there. You know, they're, they're all volunteers. And so it's been a good group to work with. There's a couple of good groups to, to go with for sure, but they've been the main one. They've been the only one that we've focused on so far. And have you found that there's like um, a lot of people getting on board now? Are you getting more and more people interested in, in running or trying to do something? We are. What it has been is it is sort of a, my network. I've lived in several different countries. And so I put together a video that had people from around the world, you know, holding up the three finger salute and saying where they are and how they support Myanmar. And I was able to get people from, you know, six different continents to, to be a part of that from my own network. But it's grown maybe one more circle out from my own network. Every once in a while, there will be a random person whom I've never heard of who signs up and that's fantastic. And then they tell their friends and it starts to grow and it has been starting to get bigger and bigger, but we just, I would love it to just get a little bit more so that we are, right now, we just have it where it's one person a day can sign up for a day. So if you want to sign up for the 25th of May, you take that day. I would love it where it's open. We can have three people doing the 25th of May and then four people on the 26th and maybe just one person on the 27th and on and on. But it's, we really are just looking for that 30 to 31 people a month will sign up. And to be honest, it's been a little tricky to get that at times. But we get it in spurts. You know, there are plenty of people who are interested. They just kind of need a little reminder here and there. They want to help. They want to get the word out. It's been incredibly meaningful to me as I've told people about it. For example, my girlfriend's mom recently did one in Baton Rouge where she lived. And she, you know, knew about the Myanmar situation a bit, but obviously learned more about it and heard more about it, you know, in talking to me. And it was just, fantastic to see her to want to sign up, be supportive, get involved, tell her friends about it and get the word out to people who probably wouldn't have thought about Myanmar, you know, for years or months. 
So it's it's been great to see it grow in that way. And if there's anyone listening now and they want to, they're like, okay, this is something I can do. You know, you don't have to run it, but they can walk it or they can bike it. As you say, how, how do they go about it? How can they sign up for your 5K? Right. 5K for me on Mar.com. Go onto the website and there will be a big button that says sign up. You can scroll down the page. There is another button that says sign up. It is run through the run sign up website. So you create a little profile there and we will never publish your name anywhere. If you want to stay anonymous and you pick a day that you want to run. So create your profile. Uh, you can just use your initials if you don't even want to put in your details and pick a day to run. And if you can do it that day, if you can't let us know so that we can find someone else to fill in, but then post about it using the hashtag 5k from Myanmar, tag us at 5k from Myanmar on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, if you don't want your pictures online, we can just upload a picture of the area that you did it in. You know, we had, uh, someone in Massachusetts yesterday who did it and we just uploaded a picture of the streets of Massachusetts because they did it that day, but you know, didn't want their face online necessarily. And that's fine. We are trying to be conscious that any pictures that do get uploaded aren't going to harm anyone in Myanmar or people who know people in Myanmar. So we try to be very cautious about that. Talk through that with people who are signing up. But really, if you can, share it on your social media, spread the word, tag us as much as possible, use the hashtag as much as possible and start getting the word out there so others sign up, others are aware of what's happening in Myanmar. Because it's not necessarily about signing up so we have people doing 5Ks. It's about spreading awareness about Myanmar and more so showing the people of Myanmar that the world has not forgotten to see all these different people from all around the world holding up three finger salute. I have gotten messages from Myanmar people showing just, just so grateful for that support and just so overwhelmed and so surprised that all these foreigners would do it. We've had people in Myanmar doing it really keep their uh, privacy uh, intact, but uh, it's been very meaningful to see so many people from so many places doing it. Like I said, we've had folks from six continents, sign up. I would love it if someone in Antarctica signed up just so we could round it out to seven. So if there is someone out there who knows someone in Antarctica, 5 kformyanmarcom send them to it. But otherwise, anyone who wants to participate, go to the website, create a profile, sign up. You'll be on your way. Yeah, we don't have anyone in Antarctica, but right now the team is spread across a few continents. So I'll have to get us on it and we need to sign up, I think, and do it. So you can sign up together or we should sign up individually and take a day each. Uh, for now, we have it set so that one person can sign up per day. So if you want to do it with a friend, not a problem. You can just do it with a friend if one of you signs up. If you want multiple people to do it in one day, just message us. We'll sort it. We'll change the settings and, you know, you can both sign up. No problem. It's pretty easy and straightforward. But really, we have June and we'll have July open quite soon. We have dates open there that we just want to fill those first. And so the focus is making sure that somebody's doing it every day. That's great. And I guess, Tom, like, I mean, like myself, you have lived in Myanmar too. So I know exactly why you're doing this and why you care and why these people are so special. And I, I try to say this. And I think if, if you have never been to Myanmar and you haven't met Myanmar people, maybe you don't understand <laughs> And I, I try to capture that, but maybe you can tell me a little bit about your, your time in Myanmar and your experience of living there. Sure. So I lived in Myanmar for a little more than three years. I moved in early 2017. 
was living in Sanchon, uh, a couple of different areas of Sanchon, Sanchon the whole time, which feels like every other foreigner. I feel like there were so many of us in Sanchon. I heard it once described as the Brooklyn of Yangon, and it, that felt particularly apt. And I've lived in four other countries that are not my home. Uh, I've lived in the UK and Norway, Australia, and Sudan, as well as Myanmar. And Myanmar was the place I've lived the longest that isn't the US. And it was very, it really went deep into my soul. I felt as though I would be there for maybe a year. And then that became two. And that became three. And if it hadn't been for the pandemic, it probably would have been four. I'm happy to be back home in Atlanta now. But someone told me early on in my living there in Myanmar that this isn't a place that you just leave easily. It stays with you. And I sort of laughed it off at the time. And then about a year later, really realized that's true. I think that everyone who's been there, whether it's just for a visit or who's lived there, is really left with something in them that still feels called back to Myanmar, still thinks about it, still feels deeply moved by the country. And it's, it's, it's hard to leave. And I can't put my finger on what exactly that was, but it was a very meaningful time for me. And it was incredible to experience the culture in that real day-to-day way that you don't get in, you know, a week of travel or six months even of living in a place. But to just do it day in and day out, go through rainy seasons a couple of times, that kind of thing. You know, I had a joke that uh, when I first got there in January 2017, you know, it's kind of cool season and there were Myanmar folks wearing coats, you know, and it was like, you know, 20 degree, not even that, 25 degree weather, you know, for my American friends that's in the 80s. And uh, and you'd see Myanmar people wearing coats. And that first year I'm living there, you think, oh, this is crazy. They're wearing coats and it's not even cold. And then the next year you see it again, you kind of go, I kind of understand, you know, it's, this is the coolest time of year and that kind of thing. It's a little chilly, maybe. The third year you're wearing the coat, you know, and so you really start to like, understand what the culture kind of feels like just by being around the people and experiencing it. And so to have left that, and I left it very abruptly during COVID, and then to see what's happening there, there was no way that I could just ignore what was happening there and let that part of my heart, let that part of my soul not speak out because I owe a duty to the Myanmar people to do that. And they they deserve people to speak out for them as much as possible to amplify their voice. So it's it's been just, it has stuck with me much more than I ever anticipated. And I imagine it always will. Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing when you're saying about the, the cold. My very first day of my job when I was in Myanmar, I think it was July or August 2017. And there was a Welsh girl that I, I worked with and she had jeans on her. And I was like, jeans? But I remember a year later, I was the person in the jeans and someone said that to me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm from the U.S. Southeast. Like uh, being from Atlanta, Atlanta is hot and humid. You know, it was in Celsius. It was 32 degrees or so on Saturday. And, it was, you know, I went for a walk and it was just humid and hot and everything else. And I still thought to myself, this is nowhere near what Myanmar was, though. I mean, it was just a different level of humidity and heat and I have never been hotter in my life but at the same time I don't I don't experience heat over here near as much as I thought like I 
I literally sweat less over here now. It's, it's strange. I think Myanmar literally changed my physical chemistry or something. Yeah, it, and it, it is when you're saying just about it being a kind of place that, that that is special and hard to let go of. And Ruth and I both lived in China before we lived in Myanmar separately. And I lived like almost the same length in China as I lived in in Myanmar. And now I'm living in a new country as well. Again, that's not home. And I'm just like, I don't know what I... Not that I wouldn't care so much about those countries, but I wonder would it have had the same impact on me with what's happening. Um, but there is just something incredibly special about Myanmar, and I, I don't know how to describe it to people. But I think more and more people who listen to the podcast who didn't know much about Myanmar before, maybe they've come to this just through friendships or through people. They're really getting a feeling for the Myanmar people, just in an attachment, just listening to the the episodes each each time we release one. But I always want to capture it. It's so hard to explain to people, but they're, they're so special and they were so good to us when we were there. And I think the least we can do, I guess, is to, is to speak out. But I find that, you know, out of a lot of people I knew in Myanmar who were expats, I don't see so many of them, you know, keeping up with what's happening in Myanmar. And I mean, I understand that happens. But why, why do you think, you know, some people... Could they be doing more? Is it, you know, is not everyone built in that way? Or what's your thoughts on that? Right. And I, I, I don't say this to make anyone feel guilty, but yes, we could all absolutely be doing more, myself included. You know, there is such a need to be speaking out about what's happening in Myanmar, to be raising awareness and to amplify the Myanmar people's voice. You know, we're not the experts in Myanmar. Myanmar people are. And so it's therefore our duty to, to help them. And there's a lot that we could be doing. And it's tricky, though, because, yeah, we we have friends who are foreigners like us who left and sort of left it behind. I think sometimes when we go to places, even if we're living there for long periods of time, we boil down a culture to people, plates and places is what I've kind of called it, where it's the food, it's the people and the landscape. It's just, oh, the country's so pretty. Oh, the food is so good. Oh, the people are so nice. And it's very surface level kind of look at a culture and a feel of a culture. And if that's all you're really thinking about, that's it. I think <laughs> I think those of us who really still feel something for Myanmar are those of us who, when we were living there at times, were really annoyed with Myanmar. You know, when you live in another country, sometimes it can be tricky and it can be tough and there are cultural clashes. And, you know, ask Myanmar friends of mine and former colleagues of mine, I was not always the best at living that culture and and knowing how to operate but to work through that creates maybe just like a deeper appreciation for it and so i think that there are still a lot of people out there who had those same experiences of you know maybe not loving it every day but really growing to appreciate the culture deeply in that way i'm fortunate enough to have a fairly sizable group of friends from when i was in yangon Foreigners in Myanmar like, but a, a lot of foreigners who left at some point during COVID, either at the beginning or then before the coup or several just after the coup, well, a few months after the coup. And we have a big group chat on Signal where we talk, which has been just great. We do group calls, that kind of thing, just to talk through it. I remember we had we had a big call at the end of the year last year, and we were talking about our highs and lows of our past year of life. And people had had babies and got married and, and there had been great things that had happened that year, but we all had the same low. I mean, just the coup was just so crushing for all of us that it was so difficult. And so to be able to talk to people 
about that and to be able to reach out about that has been the thing that has really helped me. I actually had a dream maybe two, three months ago that I was back in Myanmar, but the coup had happened and I was being very careful to, you know, not sort of put myself in any sort of bad situation. And I was walking the streets of Sanchon and, you know, it was night and I was walking, it was Baho Street for anyone who knows that. And it's a lively street and at night, you know, especially north of Bagya. And you just, there's lots of people out. It's hard to like kind of walk through the crowd. And in the dream, there were almost no people on the street and the shops were virtually empty and the shops had nothing in them. And then I was picked up by the military and I was arrested and detained and I knew that I was going to be sent to prison. And I woke up in that moment and just sort of my heart was really beating. And I had first like that sort of, okay, I'm, I'm in America. I'm not in Myanmar. Then I have this guilt of feeling, oh my gosh, I'm in America and I'm not in Myanmar. I don't have to deal with this, but I need to talk to somebody who understands that feeling of being on the outside, looking in and just wanting to help and still thinking about it. And I was fortunate enough to be able to message friends of mine and talk about it. But it is, it is hard. And there are people who don't think about it as much, but I think even those who aren't outspoken still know that it's a place that is in their heart that they think about and they, maybe they're just looking for outlets to do more. So it could be 5k for Myanmar. It could just be donating to a place like Mutual Aid Myanmar, but there's a lot of different ways to just show some level of care, even if people don't think about it all the time. And what has your like reaction been to the international community's wider response in terms of governments? I mean, I know haven't obviously been following things closely and there's been some positives in terms of America where we have seen, you know, some key politicians meet with representatives of the NUG government. But I mean, still sanctions on Mogi still haven't happened in the US, for example. So it seems like it, it doesn't seem to me like the U.S. is doing enough, but then, I mean, they're doing more than some countries like Australia, for example. So what, what's your thoughts? Are you happy with, with what you're seeing or, or not? No, no, I want more. I agree with that. I think you said it very well. I, I do want more to come. I am by no means a sanctioned expert, but there is more that could be done. I'll start with the good, perhaps. I think that, yes, there have been some things that have been done by the U.S., particularly one of my senators uh, in Georgia, Senator Raphael Warnock, in March or April, signed on to, you know, the the act to bolster aid to Myanmar for the Senate, you know, to, to co-sponsor that bill. And, you know, there has been some talk about it, that kind of thing. But all the Ukraine stuff is going on. There's a lot of things happening in the U.S. He's up for the election this year the man's busy and he still took the time to make sure that he was co-sponsoring that and to, to getting onto that. And so you see sort of glimmers of hope of it's not completely forgotten and I'm grateful for that. And we do see that with the State Department, Biden administration, not just Congress. So that's fantastic. That's great. But there could be more. There could be better sanctions. There could be just a little more thoughts to it. There could be, to be honest, I think a little less reliance on ASEAN. I think that a lot of Western governments think that they can chat with ASEAN and ASEAN can then sort it out a bit. ASEAN is kind of the only real line of communication diplomatically into Myanmar in a way, you know, that is maybe actually able to hold some sway, but they're not necessarily pushing the things that we would want them to push at all. And so I think for Western governments to kind of recognize that would be helpful. And I think really what it is is just 
More sanctions, yes. Better sanctions, yes. But attention and focus and thinking about this because, you know, what's happening in Ukraine is horrendous and it is a foreign invasion. We want justice in Myanmar. We want justice in Ukraine. You know, we also want justice in Sudan. I want justice here in Atlanta. You know, Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, my city's greatest son had a had a quote that was injustice anywhere, justice everywhere. And that's absolutely true in the case. So when we look at Ukraine, we want to do everything that we can to do that. But I want to see similar sort of attention and thought with Myanmar and with so many other things in the world. We have the mindset and the capacity to do this. You know, we have smart people in all these places. We can do this. And yet our attention wanes at times. You know, right now in Ukraine, there are 15 million people in aid and Myanmar, there's, according to the UN, about 14 and a half million. So it's, it is similar in some ways. And again, not to detract from Ukraine at all, but really to rise up Myanmar and show that it is, it is so dire and yet so forgotten. You know, and I'm glad that Ukraine is getting so much attention. It's it's fantastic. And I want it to end tomorrow, but I want Myanmar to end tomorrow too, you know, and we have a responsibility to the rest of the world. We as Westerners who come from slightly more privileged backgrounds, well, more than slightly more privileged backgrounds, and who have the means because of the international system that we set up in our favor, you know, with sanctions, with banking and trade, we have a responsibility to use that to ensure that there's justice being done in these other countries. And sometimes we we forget because things go off our radar and we don't think about it as much or it doesn't impact us as much day to day. But when people are suffering, we have a responsibility to act. Yeah. And I think what you're saying, like, I get it with Ukraine as well. It's so bad, but I worry for Ukraine too, because we don't have the capacity, it seems, in the West to to invest for too long in these things. Like not so long ago... Right. Afghanistan was completely dominating the news, you know, and like you hear nothing about it now. And I just worry for Ukraine that they will be the next forgotten country like Myanmar. But I guess there's just more Western countries that have obviously their own uh, interests in Ukraine. But I would love to see more as well. But I do believe and I know we, we recently talked to somebody who did say to us, like, it's the little people who make the difference in the end. And I have to hope that all of these little things like you guys are doing and people like you will all add up to something bigger eventually, you know? Right. You know, we, we want to raise awareness so that those higher level people are, are creating, you know, those big sweeping bits of change. But, you know, to borrow from the civil rights movement here in my corner of the country in America, we are a place that is deeply rooted in that history, and we should be. That started with just a few people, you know. Dr. King was the leader of the movement for years in the 60s, but it started with other people being willing to, you know, not take buses in Birmingham, you know, during the bus strike and for other people to march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma and people doing their parts. And even after, you know, Dr. King was killed and other people still stepping up and doing those small things. And it wasn't just the names that we know now, your Rosa Parks, et cetera. It was little people who don't have their names in history books who signed up and I'm just overwhelmed and amazed and in awe of the Myanmar people in the same way that the folks who are participating in CDM are not the ones who are, you know, NUG ministers who are the names we know or anything. They're just people, everyday, ordinary folks who are doing their little bit of difference. And for those of us on the outside, it's the same thing. 
Can I share something about Myanmar on social media? Can I bring it up to friends? Can I talk to organizations around me? You know, if you're a faith person, can you talk to people in your place of worship about maybe doing some sort of donation drive? You know, can you do, you know, I've organized 5Ks here in Atlanta. Is there a Myanmar community around you? Can you literally just go and shop at a Myanmar-owned business? Because we all know that Myanmar folks know everybody. And if you shop at a Myanmar business in America or Europe or in Australia, that money is going to work its way back in Myanmar. So it's just thinking of those little things that you can do. And I think that that makes it a little easier because there are a lot of things going badly in the world right now. And I don't want to single out Myanmar is the only bad thing, obviously. And I think it's hard for people sometimes to have the bandwidth to think about, oh, this is another cause, another thing. And yeah, it is, you know, and you don't have to run every day like I did, you know, just do it one day. Or if you don't want to run or walk or swim or bike or whatever, then okay, just can you give $10, you know? All right, you can't, fair enough. Can you say something on social media, you know? Is there something you can do to push that needle a little bit? Even if you don't know a lot about it, you don't have to be an expert. The, the real secret, I think, is that there are only about three foreigners in the world who are experts in Myanmar and the rest of the people are just kind of trying to do their best. And so I think for people to speak out, it doesn't take a lot. It's just that little bit of effort that makes a big difference. Your motivation was the connection with the country that you had from the work you've done previously. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the response you've got to the initiative that you're doing now, Following on from what Suzanne said and the international community response, how hard have you found it to kind of drum up interest and kind of awareness of the situation in order to get support? It's been maybe a little easier than I thought, but it's still difficult. And it's it's sort of been my network of friends, which, you know, decent sized network, but like who've really signed up and then spread it a little bit beyond their network to sort of one step removed from me. But then there are, there have been random people, like there were some Peace Corps volunteers who served in Myanmar who had started kind of spreading it among them. You know, we've had two of them sign up recently and, and do a 5k. And it has been that it's been tricky though, just to capture people's attention with it though. When I hit a year of doing these. There was a story in the newspaper about it here in Atlanta and the, the local paper in the Atlanta Journal Constitution, which was fantastic to get the word out. And I was really excited that we were going to do that. And we had a big event for doing a year and trying to raise a bit more money. And then still like not a ton of people really came to the event who didn't kind of know me in some way or know me through someone. You know, I would love it for strangers to show up, but you know, it's hard to get people. It might not have helped that it was on a Monday night though, to be fair. But it's hard because people, or particularly people here in the U.S., we are as overexposed the rest of the world is to us. We are very underexposed to the rest of the world, and people don't know where Myanmar is on maps. Obviously, you know, they're confused, Myanmar versus Burma, in terms of the naming of it, you know, and that's fair. But uh, they don't know exactly what's happened. They just know that there was something bad. Some people might know the name on Feng Chi. So it's hard for them to sort of really connect with it. And I feel that I've kind of been that person to maybe help introduce people in my sphere about it. But it's been very helpful when other people will either share something that the 5K Myanmar account has on Instagram, share some news, share some information, or just go and Google for themselves. You know, Google search Myanmar, click the news tab and just see what's happening. 
and you'll see enough stories where you'll kind of understand, wow, this is really dire. And it's hard for people maybe to have that that sort of attention span to do it, but every little bit helps. And we just have to keep this going. I unfortunately think that we will be doing this for a while. I want this to end tomorrow. I want to go back to Yangon for at least a visit, you know, tomorrow, but we're not there. And if we just keep doing small things, it's at least keeping it current in conversation and people thinking about it and knowing what's happening, but it has been difficult to kind of get it to take off. It's not like it's exploded in this, in this big following way. So, which maybe is good. I don't know that, you know, I can handle all that. You know, I have a day job too, but you know, it's, I would love it for it to get a big following and people to really be talking about it, but that's not, that's not the case. And so we'll just kind of keep doing the small bits as we go. Just when you were saying, when you were saying that, I'm thinking, yeah, we, we were thinking like that with the podcast as well. Like um, we we were doing every week initially, but like we have day jobs too. It's like even yeah. we have always have a backlog at the minute. I'm like, I've so we've so many. Like I have a list so long of people I would love to have on the podcast. Like people I know really well that I even haven't. I'm like because I know them. I'm like you'll be last. I'll find you eventually. Like just trying to get to everyone, just trying to find the time. But when you just mentioned about wanting to go back, and I mean, I think that's the ultimate goal for us one day too. How do you feel about it reopening for tourism? I don't think I've touched on this with any guests yet because it's only a recent announcement. What, what's your thoughts on that? What would you feel about people going in at the current time as a tourist? You know, it's tricky because I had, when I was living there, I had a British friend, one of my best friends, she lives in the UK and she and her husband wanted to come down and visit me and it, it wound up not working out for other reasons. But she kind of said, you know, I feel like I have a bit of hesitation coming and visiting and kind of paying that visa fee to, to enter, you know, and that was under NLD, you know, she just knew that there were still issues with the military, et cetera. And so that was, that was kind of hard then. And I think at the time it worked out, she would have done it. I, I think I had, a, I had assuaged her, her fears, but like now I think that it would be very rare for it to be a visit that is impactful for the Myanmar people who need it. It feels a bit like Christian missions work. And I say this as a Christian, but where you get, you know, a bunch of people who go over to some place and, and they, they build houses or whatever, and they, they think that it's so amazing and so great for the people there, but really it's them who are getting something from it. And they're changing, they're learning, they're experiencing a new culture and, and seeing other perspective. And that is good. That helps us learn. That helps us grow with people and, and connect with people around the world that we wouldn't necessarily. But if someone's to go into Myanmar tomorrow, they would connect with the Myanmar people. They'd experience that. And maybe they'd have some more empathy for what they're going through. But I don't know. I, I don't know that it's the best idea yet. And I'm thinking right now of a friend of mine who was in the tourism industry, who was arranging tours, the Myanmar woman and you know, she's incredibly talented. I know she's found other things and other revenue streams during the pandemic and during coup, but like, I want her to have her living. You know, I want towns like Kalaw to not just be military towns. I want them to be known for the tourist part of it and to be seen for the beauty that it is, that kind of thing. I want Bagan to be experienced by everybody on earth if possible, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, it's such an amazing place. I want people to see Shwedagon at night you know, but to be there now and to be a tourist, if you were to go, I think you need to go with the mindset that you're not really on holiday. You are not going to a holiday destination to lay on a beach to, you know, get drunk and ride an e-bike around. 
you know, and, and, and just have a laugh and that kind of thing. If you're going to go, I think you need to go with a very humble attitude, a very open mind and very much the mindset of trying to figure out how you can help. And if this trip is going to help show you how to do that, because, you know, tourism for tourism's sake, people in Myanmar need our help and our attention to throw off the yoke of this illegitimate regime. And if you just go and ignore that completely, then you're not helping. What are your thoughts, Ruth? I'm just curious about the holiday. I'm just linking those two things together there, because we've just talked about the lack of awareness of the situation. I mean, since I've been here, obviously, I'm in a country with a neighbouring border. And I've, mm-hmm. I've had conversations with local people who haven't got a scooby-doo of what's going on. And they literally, and then they're like, oh, like in Ukraine then. So it's like, what's happening in Ukraine? And it just blows my mind. So in terms of awareness, I, I also had someone who is not local, talk to me and say, oh, you, you keep mentioning Myanmar, I, I need to do a visa run, is, is it a good place to go? And I'm like, the political situation there right now is like, the two things are coupled. If you've got this level of awareness where you need to explain to people what is happening in the country and tourism is open, you are going to get ignorant tourists who are just going to go and then just try and experience. And I find it mind-blowing that you can have this kind of scenario. But I know personally from living there, there's been turmoil in the country and I've had no idea of the reality of the situation for people whilst being there. So maybe it is a possibility that they can juggle a guise of normality to try and get some funding within the country whilst shooting children in the head and you, you know, you've got all this generation in prison. In which case, morally, you'd have to be an incredibly ignorant tourist, I would have thought. And in terms of whether it's the right thing to do, I, I usually stand by the fact that the, the right people never, you know, benefit or suffer from any kind of financial stopping of, of an individual in that kind of way. You know, if you buy a fried rice off the street seller, you're not going to talk politics with them. But in terms of this current scenario, it does not sit right with me at all for for people to be going there in ignorance especially with the amount of sacrifices that people are making within the country to refrain themselves and try and make a stand and the cdm movement of like it it just doesn't it doesn't make sense but it wouldn't surprise me that you you might get people going to the five-star resort sitting in there and, and not leaving and still being oblivious and it you know it could function yeah i agree i think that it's hard to imagine someone going who is oblivious. It's hard to imagine someone going and just not paying attention to it. And I mean, I guess I'm thinking about myself with this in two ways, where one, I've gone to other countries and learned a lot from visiting there whilst knowing only a little before going. I don't think anything was as stark as as the current situation in Myanmar and going and being a tourist in a situation like that. But it can help you by visiting and seeing for yourself and that kind of thing. But I really, I think about my own privilege with this, where when I came to Myanmar in 2017, I arrived without a job and I knew one person and the extreme and enormous privilege of not knowing much about a country, the situation, the context, but just knowing that it's open and things are happening there. Why not go see it? And it changed my life around in in some ways and taught me a lot. And I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't made that decision. But at the same time, if someone told me they were doing that, even back then, I would have said, like, come on, like, you know, 
you have a responsibility to know a bit more or, you know, maybe leave it up to someone who's a bit more qualified or, I mean, honestly, a Myanmar person who could do the job just well, things like that. Like, it's tough to reconcile those things, but we do learn through experiences and seeing things. And so I think, again, the best that we could ask is that someone goes, then go with the mindset of trying to figure out what is actually happening there, trying to talk to people as much as possible. Like you said, you know, it's not like the rice seller or something like that is going to talk politics. Although the Yangon taxi driver, we did love it, but uh, it is tricky to kind of figure out. And the other thing is, what will you see? You know, friends of mine who are in Yangon now say that it is a different city and that it's quieter, but it is very, very strange just how almost normal it feels like from before. And if you go to the tourist places, you know, tourists aren't going to Shagain, you know, if you go to the tourist places, of, you know, Bagan or Mandalay or Inlay or Dewey and things like that, like, you're only going to be shown certain things, you know, there's not going to be protests in the streets of Bagan. There's certainly not going to be anything that you would see in that Kalaw to Inlay trek or something like that. So you might get a sense of who the people are, but it's almost like a North Korea situation. You would be presented with a false reality in those areas. And so being a tourist may not be beneficial for that. I agree with you in the end. I don't think it's worth it, but if you're going to go, at least be very mindful of how you can be helpful and be open about it and not just going to be, you know, well, yeah, I just want to mess about for with cheap beer on a beach somewhere. Yeah, I think if anyone wants to go there because they want to maybe feel like they can spread awareness or make a difference, just donate the money you would have spent on the holiday. That's what I would recommend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're right. I have some friends who said, like, I love you. I'd love to see you. But if you come here as a tourist, I will hate you. I will never forgive you. (laughs) Yeah. Do not do that. Like, we're sacrificing far too much for you to, you know, and it's true. And I think we have always said that as long as it is as it is, we wouldn't go back. But like you, in 2017, I was living in China and I moved from China to Myanmar without any real understanding of the country and no access to news. I was living in China. I had very little access to the outside world. So yeah, I naively went somewhere without doing much research. Actually, most places I've lived, I haven't done a whole lot of research. So yeah, if you do too much research, you'll never go. <laughs> so I understand that. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I do have to But I think on this occasion, if you do any tiny bit of research, you won't miss what's happening, <laughs> you know. And I'd be curious to hear from the listeners in Myanmar what they think. And then let's make sure to to share and amplify that perspective because that's the real one, right? You know, what do they want? What do they need? That kind of thing. True. I just, I, I do feel that kind of like access in, in Myanmar's control to a certain extent anyway, that there's areas that you couldn't go even in times of relative peace. And the tourist route is kind of a, it's a controlled, well-trodden path. Do you know what I mean? You have your areas, you go to Bagan, you go to Kalor, you, you the areas that you said are the, are the ones that a tourist would go. So, I can see that they would, the military could put forward a facade of managing that area and, and people could, exactly as you've just said, like just go and, and be a, a oblivious. And, and that's a very scary thought. It's exactly why things like what you're doing are so important to make sure that doesn't happen, really, because you might benefit the odd person who's going to be concentrating on, on trying to fund themselves with tourism right now. It's It's just... Personally, it doesn't sit right. But I do see how it, it could happen and people could have a skewed perception of, of what is actually like and what's going on there. Right. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I think I agree with you 
Suzanne, really, at the end. If, if you're thinking about going there, just spend the money and donate it. You know, give it to the CDM for people who are relying on tourism and are getting that money then just directly. Tangentially related to the tourism thing is, you know, one day this will end. One day the illegitimate regime will end. One day the people will have power again and that voice will be restored. And we all want that day to be tomorrow. We wanted it to be yesterday. But when that does happen, I think we in the international community will have a real responsibility to not make the mistakes that we've made in the past. And I think a lot of people that y'all have had on the podcast have spoken about this and, and said it better than I could, you know, just like mistakes that, you know, the aid community has made, the international community has made during the years of democracy or, you know, maybe seeing the NLD as more than they were, things like that. But I think in the future, we really, and, and now even, we have a responsibility to just listen to the people there, you know, know and hear what they're saying. Try to understand the culture a little bit better before we start coming in and trying to do things. I say this very much to myself as well. I'm not forgiven for this or not, you know, I very much have been part of it, but we have a responsibility to listen to CSOs when we're talking about sanctions. We will have a responsibility to listen to that same civil society once democracy finally returns. We in the international world might have some ideas, we might have input, some of us may know of situations where something similar might have occurred, and so we can try to help people avoid lessons and pitfalls. You know, we can do our best to share knowledge that we have. And I think sometimes there is a chance that people in a country, whether it's Myanmar, whether it's America, can say, oh, we should do this. And something like that may have happened somewhere else, and someone else can just say, okay, yes, but three steps down the road, you also might run into this. So maybe start thinking about that now as well. And, you know, like, let's make a more concrete kind of plan of action and we're happy to help you with that but it needs to be really in the hands of the Myanmar people and it's their voices because they're the ones fighting the fight you know I'm running every you know or ran every day and now people around the world are running every day you know y'all are doing this podcast and it's fantastic but we are able to leave Myanmar behind at times we're not living there we're not from there and it's it is their country and it's something that we need to do to make sure that we're respecting and representing their voices when we go forward. I would hate to see the aid world make the same mistakes that it has. I also hope that Myanmar serves as some kind of lesson. I think it's a very particular case study of how Myanmar got so hot, it was so full of hope, and the aid world just thought that this is going to be the win, and so much money was poured into the place just to see it go the way that it did. Not to say that that was completely negative. There are some good effects from the last 10 years, of course, and there will be lessons that are learned when democracy returns that people can go back to. But I think that there are a lot of things that we could have done better, and there are things that we could do better in other countries in the future, but particularly with Myanmar when we have the opportunity. But for now, we all just have to kind of keep trying to, you know, like we've been talking about, do the small thing, do the next right thing and try to just do what we can to just make it so that that day finally does come from Myanmar where this is over. And that's really nice, <laughs> the way you put that. <laughs> Sorry, I felt a bit soapboxy there. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, I think it's really nice, and I think it's it's an important thing as well because we forget how much the international community did pump into Myanmar for so long, and, like, it is a failure in many ways. Like, you know, they got it wrong on so many levels. But then there was a lot of people trying to tell people that for a long time that weren't listened to as well. So I, I guess there's a 
you know, a kind of goodness coming out of it. This is the most united the country has ever been. And, and the, you know, I feel like the path forward is more positive than it ever would have been in some ways. But yeah, it's not going to end tomorrow. And I think we all we all know that. I think the people of Myanmar know that all too well. But we have to keep doing our bit. Any final words for the people of Myanmar, the message to them listening? You're not forgotten. The world stands with you. We will do this as long as it takes. I know that it is hard right now to continually quote Dr. King. He talked about the fierce urgency of now. We want there to be change right now. But in that same speech, he talks about the long and difficult journey to change. And the fierce urgency of now is understanding that we are here with you right now. We are talking about this now. And we are not going to pretend that it's not happening or wait for tomorrow to say something. But this is going to take time. And the world will still stand with you over time, even if it's just a few voices here and there. But it's the people that are not forgotten. And that, you know, we will try to hold out as long as we can with you. And I just hope that the people of Myanmar are able to to get through this. Like, we're all really thinking about you and praying for you and doing what we can and sending what we can and trying to make sure that people be talking about it because no one deserves this kind of injustice. And I'm, again, just in awe of all the people who are there who have done what they already have done in this last year and a couple of months. I'm, I'm just overwhelmed. But they shouldn't have to. And this should end. And on the outside, we'll do what we can. And we'll just, we'll hang in there with you as long as it takes. Thank you for listening to RNR Podcast. You can follow us on all major social media platforms. It's at RNR Podcast, spelled A H N A H. Please like, follow, and subscribe. Myanmar remains in our hearts and thoughts. We have not forgotten you. Let's keep the conversation going.